When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. of Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us this week is our pal, Hank Wellman. Hello, Hank. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you. It's, it's great to have you here. Uh, you reached out to me uh, with a, a song that is... Uh, Definitely obscure in the Dylan canon. Uh, this is a song that most people, I think, other than really diehard Bob heads, are even familiar with, and that is George Jackson, which was a single that Bob Dylan released in November of 1971. It was released as both A and B sides, and it was released only as a single. Uh, it was never put on an album or any greatest hits compilation until many, many decades later. So this, this remains... Uh, Unique in the, in the Bob Dylan canon. But before we get to George Jackson, the, the song, that is, uh, I always mm-hmm. ask all my new guests, like, how did you get to Bob Dylan's music? How did you discover it? Uh, well, it was actually kind of a gradual thing for me. Um, I guess when I first started getting into uh, uh, collecting music on, on vinyl and cassette, this was in the 80s, and... Uh, by then, Dylan was kind of, he was kind of omnipresent, but he really didn't get a lot of radio play or anything, at least not that I was able to hear beyond, I guess, We Are the World was probably his <laughs> his big uh, radio moment of the 80s, it seemed like. But uh, certainly, yeah, reading Rolling Stone and hearing about things like the uh, the Letterman guest appearance, um, you mentioned that Kurt Loder interview, I remember reading that, and just, uh, he was... Always, it's like that he was always kind of omnipresent like that, and um, I, I guess I really didn't start to get into him until the '90s. However, um, when I started, you know, I got a job and was able to start buying compact discs, and I wasn't quite ready to just upgrade all my cassettes. Um, a lot of his, a lot of his CDs, his albums, they had those uh, Columbia, the CDs with the nice price stickers mm-hmm. on them, so. That was, uh, you know, music used to be a lot more expensive than it is now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm showing my age. But, um, yeah, that's really when I started getting into Dylan in a big way. And it just seems like all that music I was buying back then, his stuff, it's just, it's resonated over time. I mean, a lot of other CDs have kind of gathered dust, but his stuff just seems to uh, age extremely well the older I get. So... (laughs) That's kind of how I fell into it. But I've also, I've always been a music collector, and that's kind of where, you know, in the 80s, the B-side literally was a B-side on the back of a 45. And when I remember reading about um, George Jackson, I actually read it, there was a book about uh, John Lennon and his politics, and it, it mentioned how Dylan, in 1971, went to the studio, wrote a He'd just written a song about George Jackson, released it as a single, um, and then didn't write another political song for five years, and the song just kind of vanished. And and stuff like that always just kind of fascinates me, just uh, the idea of a music, you know, just in terms of collecting, just a 
song like that that's out there, but you got to go out and find it and actually get a physical copy of it if you ever want to hear it. And uh, it, I think I finally did hear it on a 45 that I bought for like five bucks a few years later. Yeah, this song, I when I was getting into Dylan for the first time or, or after just a couple of years in, I had I was not familiar with this song. And then I saw that it was listed some, I mean, this is all pre-internet. So I saw it on a list somewhere mm-hmm. and I was like, George, yeah. I was like, George Jackson, what's that? And the only place it was available other than the single um, was on a Japanese only box set called Masterpieces, which was released in the mid set, like 1978. And it's on there. Yeah. And I remember being like, what the hell is Masterpieces? Because I couldn't get my hands on that because it was <laughs> Japanese only. Now, I eventually did because, I mean, eBay popped up and I, I found it on eBay. And I, I literally bought Masterpieces, which is three CDs, just to get George Jackson because it had everything mm-hmm. else I already had on it. But that's how level of a that's the level of collector I was. I was like, well, I have to hear this. So I went and bought – I think it cost me like 50 bucks or some absurd – price and yeah. masterpieces doesn't even have both versions of the song nope. this is this song is unique in that dylan was so uh so uh determined to make sure that radio stations played the song he didn't want them flipping to the b-side and playing whatever you know if, if he had put an older song on there or something else he mm-hmm. cut two versions of this song there's an acoustic version which is i believe side a oh no i'm sorry i'm getting that backwards the big band version is side A, and then there's an acoustic version on side B, which is about two minutes shorter. So no matter what mm-hmm. version of George Jackson the single you played, you were going to hear the song, and that was his his motivation. Now, do we want to? Do you want to get into the history a little bit of for people who don't know who the hell George Jackson was? Well, I mean, it's one of those. He he has one of those Wikipedia pages that tends to raise more questions than it answers, just because there was a lot of legal stuff happening around him. I think it's safe to say he was a very polarizing figure. He was a, uh, like the song says, he was sentenced in California to a one-year-to-life sentence for a $71 robbery. And this was when he was 18. He was in prison until the age of 29 when he was killed during a jail uprising. Um, This is the extremely... Cliff Notes version of it, but um, in the meantime, he had written a lot of letters from jail. He had been very. He managed to organize. Um, oh, I wish I had, I was going to get the page open earlier. Um, well, he was the leader of the Black Panthers. That was a big, you know, the Black Panthers. Also, the Black Gorilla family. Um, his brother, probably the most famous thing about him, there was a famous photograph of a judge that had a shotgun pointed at his. Head and this was when George Jackson's younger brother uh, went to a courthouse with a, a carbine rifle and took a bunch of hostages, attempting to get his brother freed. Um, and, and again, Jackson was a very polarizing figure. A lot of people in his orbit wound up dead. It's hard to really make any conclusions based on a, a, a Wikipedia page, but he was also he was openly. Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He was he was a communist. He was I mean, he was in jail reading Lenin and Marx and all that stuff and his writings reflected uh, that. So he was controversial in about every possible way that it, you could be controversial back in nineteen seventy one. Yeah, he wrote a book called uh, he wrote a book called Soul Dad Brother, which is the book that Dylan read. And that's what it sort of inspired. Now, I think as far as I know the chronology of, of how he how he heard this, because George Jackson was shot 
been killed uh, by guards at the San Quentin prison on August 21st, 1971, yes. uh, a mere five days after I was born. So I was, <laughs> I was brand new wow. at that time. And then uh, Dylan, apparently a couple of months later, read Sold That Brother and immediately uh, went into the studio and booked a studio in, for Columbia Records and recorded this song. And he said he did the big band version and the acoustic version. And the song, uh, it opens up lyrically, they are identical except for one uh, to me, fairly lo- fairly significant change. We'll get to that in a moment. But it opens up with um, it's a very short song. It opens mm-hmm. up with Bob singing, "I woke up this morning. There were tears in my bed. They killed a man I really loved. Shot him through the head. Lord, Lord, they cut George Jackson down. Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground." And then he continues with, "Sent him off to a prison for a seventy dollar robbery. Closed the door behind him, and they threw away the key. Lord, Lord, they cut George Jackson down. Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground." And this is, you know, Dylan had a history of recording songs about people oppressed, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, especially particularly people oppressed by the prisons, or not the prisons, but the justice system. Uh, he would later on, mm-hmm. of course, record Hurricane, which was probably the, the greatest example of, of that sort of genre, which a couple of years later. But he also had The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, Oxford Town to a mm-hmm. lesser extent, The Ballad of Emmett Till. He did a lot of songs about uh, people, particularly African-Americans, who were killed or at the very least oppressed by a white justice system. And that was something that was always on uh, Dylan's mind uh, throughout his career. And so this is, you know, this is of a piece with those types of songs. It's unusual in that, again, the way he did it, that it was released as a single. And it's unique in that this was when Dylan was in his, by his own words, his most sort of fallow period where he wasn't writing a lot of songs. He had only written, I think, Watching the River Flow and When I Pay My Masterpiece. There was only a couple other songs from around this time. So this is kind of a unique thing. And then he had this burst of inspiration, went in, recorded the song in two different versions, and boom, it, it went out. It was released something like like a week later. I mean, it's kind of amazing when you think about it, how fast the turnaround was. Yeah, I was trying to find out more exactly about um, how he might have heard about George Jackson. Like Clinton Halen's book said he just read a newspaper article the day before. I It's hard to say because the other connection is that Howard Alk, who he worked with editing Eat the Document, had done a couple of documentaries about the Black Panthers and he would remain a close friend of Dylan's, uh, working on Ronaldo and Clara and all that stuff. So I don't know if Howard Alk somehow turned him on to George Jackson or what. It's it remains a little bit muddy. But um, and this I gotta say this is the one song I don't usually overanalyze Dylan's songs. I'm usually <laughs> content to just sit back and enjoy them. But this is the song where yeah, it's like what there's so many different ways of looking at this song. Um, just in terms of where he was in his career and in the context of, you know, you were talking about um, the death of Emmett Till and some of the stuff he was doing when he was in the middle of the folk movement. Um, A lot of people thought he might have been trying to go back to political songs. I mean, as far as um, I found this one Billboard article that seems to say, well, he's coming off a couple of commercially soft albums. Maybe he might be trying to go back to what, what worked in the past, I, I don't think that's true. I don't think Dylan was ever motivated by that sort of audience expectations. But at the same time, he was also coming off of, you know, people don't really want to talk about this, but like, you know, everyone knows the Martin Scorsese documentary, this box set that came out when Dylan plugged in and went electric and 
his fan base rebelled against him and showed up his, at his concerts to boo him. But then after all that, there was a second backlash where people basically thought everything from John Wesley Harding on was just uh, <laughs> second-rate Dylan. And, and the Greatest Hits Volume 2 album, people were apparently complaining about Nashville Skyline songs being side-by-side side with uh, some of his more classic stuff from earlier in the decade. So Dylan's always kind of been subverting his fans' expectations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a very weird time in his career. And and the one thing, I mean, yeah, he wasn't writing a lot of songs, but he was doing a lot of studio sessions. I mean, he, this is where, again, as a collector, I've found out this stuff. He did a lot of recording that same month working with uh, Allen Ginsberg, of all people. Right. Um, the same day he did George Jackson, he also recorded Wallflower, which he later recorded um, as a duet with Doug Somm. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I think so, yeah. And he played in a, yeah, he played a bunch of, uh, on a bunch of songs for his next couple of albums. He was collaborating with a lot of his friends. Uh, it seems, uh, <laughs> I remember you had on your show once uh, a fellow who was, wanted to meet Bob Dylan, and I remember I was driving saying to myself, I think the way to meet Bob Dylan is to become a professional working musician because <laughs> yeah. uh, these are the people he's always uh, hanging out with. So, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, Barry Goldberg, and he, he was doing a lot of stuff in the early 70s. He just wasn't doing it, putting his name on it. Yeah, I mean, I've read the uh, the book, uh, the A Life in Stolen Moments by Clinton Halen, which tracks Dylan mm -hmm. pretty much every, almost every day of his life from birth to 1995 when the book was written. And yeah, in this wow. period, Dylan was doing a lot of, uh, as you mentioned, appearances at people's sessions, but he was also doing a lot of drop-ins, like at people's concerts. You know, you would hear mm -hmm. John Prine was playing down at the down at the Greenwich Village, and Dylan would show up and sing two songs and disappear. He would he was this kind of like wandering <laughs> spirit kind of thing, and he would disappear. And you funny you mentioned the Greatest Hits compilation, Volume Two, which came out like less than a month later after George Jackson's mm -hmm. single was released, and George Jackson is not on there, which is again just yeah. so odd that you wouldn't think that they would put this on there. In terms of a song. Uh, I mean, what do you think of it as a as a song? Uh, I, I mean, uh, do you do you have a preference either the acoustic version or the big band version? But I mean, what, how how do you rate it as a just a, a piece of the man's songwriting? I I like that last verse. I mean, you hadn't gotten to that yet. I don't know yes. if yeah, um, I do want to hold that out. But the last verse really is you know the song goes along. And you're like okay, and then the last verse comes and it kind of hits you between the eyes. Uh, um, so like well, I said, I don't know if you. Let, well, get let's let's do the last verse because yeah, the whole the first three verses are really just about George Jackson or four mm -hmm. verses. They're about George Jackson and they're very flowery. And he talks about that people were scared of his love and it, it's very much putting mm -hmm. George Jackson on a pedestal. And then Dylan changes it to uh, aiming it right at us, where he says, "Sometimes I think this whole world is one big prison yard. Some of us are prisoners. The rest of us are guards." Lord, Lord, they cut George yeah. Jackson down. Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground. And that's the verse that everyone just goes, as you said, hits you right between the eyes. Because all of a sudden, mm -hmm. I mean, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and judge what Dylan's commitment was to the life of George Jackson necessarily. I don't get the sense by the fact that George Jackson as a song uh, just disappeared from the repertoire. It was never played in concert. It's never really resurfaced. That Dylan didn't have a whole lot of emotional commitment 
to the life of this man outside of writing the song. But the thing that makes this song memorable is to me that last verse, the idea that, mm-hmm. you know, we're all big. One of some of us are prisoners. Some of us are guards. And it's interesting that on the big band version, he changes it. Mm-hmm. The big band version, he sings, some of us are prisoners. Some of us are guards, which is to me very different than singing. Some of us are prisoners. The rest of us are guards because in the acoustic version, by saying some of us are prisoners, the rest of us are guards. You're one or the other. That's it. There mm-hmm. is no, but by in the big band version, he softens it a little by saying, well, some of us and some of us, well, if you're listening, you could say, well, I'm neither a prisoner nor a guard. And it gives you that emotional outlet to say, well, this song isn't necessarily about me, but when he sings, some of us are prisoners, the rest of us are guards. Well, you're one or the other. That's it. You, and, and you don't necessarily want to be either one. I know which one I am and I don't like it, but that's, that's the truth of it. And so that to me, as much as I like the big band version, uh, he's got Kenny Buttry playing drums, and I love Kenny Buttry's sound for Dylan. Yeah, I, I think the acoustic yeah. version has got the edge simply because of that one word lyric change. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's what, what can I add? I mean, it's it's a provocative line, um, and really, yeah, a lot of his other stuff. Uh, you know, he's he points the finger at, at Patty Valentine or William Zanzinger or something, right. but this time, yeah, he points it straight at the audience, and he didn't. I don't know if he really did it that often, at least not that, you know, impacted my thinking that way. But anyway, um, and yeah, he, I don't know. That's the question. Now, what was he intending? I mean, I, sometimes I've got all these multiple theories about the song, and I don't know if that, if any of them work, but I mean, Sometimes I wonder, was he attracted to George Jackson because George Jackson was a writer and a lot of people thought that he was assassinated to be silenced. Um, there's also the idea of Woody Guthrie. I mean, one song that Dylan later recorded that Woody Guthrie wrote was like the ultimate outlaw song, which was Pretty Boy Floyd, which mm-hmm. was about um, this whole legend of Pretty Boy Floyd is, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember, some some of Robbie with a six gun, others with a fountain pen. It was just this classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Depression era kind of mythos. And that's like, was Dylan trying to write a modern version of that? Um, It's just, there's so many different ways to look at it. And yeah, as far as why it never showed up in another album, I don't know if that's just Sony trying to, because Sony does try to keep certain songs rare and dole them out and I don't know if Dylan really has anything to do with that but that's again that's just theorizing I guess one, um, one version of it was eventually released on some sort of singles collection that they put out in 2013 I think it's called like Bob Dylan the collection volume one yeah. I, can't, I, can't tra- I can't keep track of these things anymore there's so many iterations of greatest hits collections and one of the versions of it is is on there. Um, I mean, yeah, Dylan does have. Uh, I will say it when he writes songs about true events, he doesn't always bother to get the facts exactly right, uh, and that is bothersome. Maybe it depends on. To me, it depends on what the point it is he's trying to make. If he's just trying to relay the information, then mm-hmm. you need to get the facts right. It needs to be correct. If he's trying to make a larger point about the justice system or the inequality, then it doesn't bother me so much that he doesn't get the details right. I mean, you know, he apparently got some things pretty significantly wrong in the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll to the point where 
the guy who he name checks in the song, like wanted Dylan dead for the rest of his life. The guy who said that, that yeah. little, he's like that little punk ruined my life. So, I mean, there's that, I mean, George Jackson, he, he paints a very rosy picture of George Jackson. And as you said, he was, you know, in some circles, a very controversial figure and you can decide, well, you know, is Dylan kind of sandpapering the edges down a little? I mean, one of the examples of, of Dylan doing just that is uh, on Desire when he sings the song Joey, mm-hmm. which is about Joey Gallo, yeah. the mobster. And he makes Joey Gallo sound like kind of a nice guy. And Joey Gallo was a vicious yeah. murderer. I mean, Dylan's that, – that song is – not only to me that song is just one of Dylan's worst because it's just – to me it's very hard to listen to. I also know yeah. some of the back history of Joey Gallo and I'm like, you know, Bob, just because Joey Gallo read some books in prison doesn't make him a good guy. You know, so, uh, you know, but I'm not trying to compare the two. It's just that I think Dylan is always trying to get at something else with songs like this rather than necessarily just saying, well, here's the story of George Jackson. And the final verse suggests that. I mean, by by, by changing the aim of the, the song in the final verse, he's trying to make a larger point. And so if he fudges some of the details about George Jackson, it doesn't bother me as much because it's, you know, he's also, he's using his celebrity to point something out to people. I bet most people never heard of George Jackson. I certainly never did until this song. So Dylan's just using his power to, to do like a a sort of a public good. One one question I had that I was unable to answer was I was trying to figure out just how, how much, how newsworthy was George Jackson? How much attention did he get back then? I really, couldn't get a sense of that. Um, you know how big how big a news story was his death. It's kind of I don't know. I there's so, there's a lot of information out there. I could have kept reading, hmm. but I, I think the only thing the the one I tried fact checking everything in the song. There's really that not that much to check. I, I believe that Jackson was shot in the back of the spine. I don't think he was shot in the head. I'm guessing Dylan might have said that just to rhyme with. Uh, I think it's bad. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't think yeah, I don't think there's too much in the song that's uh, you know is just you know like Reuben Carter. I don't know where he got that bit about Reuben like to ride horses or any of that stuff. Right. There's a lot more factual. Good. Yeah. There's a lot more stuff wrong in, <laughs> in Hurricane. I mean, one other criticism I've seen lobbed at this song, and it, again, it's paired up with Hurricane, is that this is a rare Dylan mm-hmm. song. Is that he uses a four-letter word in it. Uh, there's a line in it where he says he wouldn't take shit from no one. He wouldn't bow down or kneel. And of course, Dylan uses uh, a, a curse word in Hurricane. And I have seen people say, yep. you know, well, isn't it interesting that the two times that Bob Dylan has used a four-letter word in his songs, it's when he's talking about black people. And is that some, some sort of weird white person kind of condescension that, you know, well, when I'm talking about a, a black person, I need to kind of talk street and I'll use some four-letter language. I... I you know, I can't answer that. I can't judge what what Dylan's uh, motivation is. Uh, it could have been that Dylan would like to have used language like that in in some of his older songs, but he just couldn't get away with it because of the times. I mean, there were, you know, he couldn't. Yeah. There's a he uses uh, the word bullshit in the song "I Shall Be Free" number ten, um, which appeared in the on the freewheel and Bob Dylan, but that version didn't make the album. That verse is cut. Because obviously you can't, you couldn't use that word in 1962 on a major release album. So it could have been that you know Dylan was just waiting for the times to kind of loosen up a little, where he could sort of use some saltier language if he wanted to. Again, we will we will never know. So this song is just it's it's a weird asterisk in Dylan's career because he himself, as I mentioned, never performed it live. I don't think he's ever even really referred to it. 
uh, the whole thing was, you know, written, recorded, and released in about two weeks. And that was the end of it. And then Greatest Hits Volume 2 came out a month later, and uh, it was just forgotten. But I still think it's a it's an interesting song. I still like listening to both versions. Uh, and, I, you know, it's a, it's worthy of, of consideration because it is it does stand so unique in the men's career. Yeah, and like I said, there's a lot of these other songs. I I, I can't think of like, yeah, The Death of Emmett Till was one of those uh, Blind Boy grunt recordings he made. Um, all, all this stuff, it just it kind of adds just little nuance to uh, his overall catalog. Um, I think with The Ballad of Donald White was another one. That's another one, right. And, and the other thing that came out, I guess, right about the same time, the uh, the concert for Bangladesh was also released. That had been recorded in August of 71. Right. So, I, you know, I don't know what people expected it, Dylan, but there was he, he was doing something anyway. <laughs> he's always keeping busy, whether he was recording it or not, or releasing it. He was always always keeping busy. So, yeah, it's interesting. And, well, it's, it's worth the other thing. Oh, I'm just the other thing I'm thinking is that since uh, you, after like Pretty Boy Floyd, he did tend to go to into the studio and record more of these one-offs, and they mm-hmm. were usually included on soundtracks and uh, tribute albums and charity albums. I mean, it may just be something that he always was inclined to do. He just never really had the outlet to do it until the the, the compilation, you know, the various artists, uh, what do you call those things? Like I said, the tribute albums sort of tuned into vogue, I guess, and mm-hmm. gave him that outlet to record these little one-offs and all that. Yeah, so. I keep I, I keep hoping that uh, the Bootleg series, when they do, like, I would love it if they did a volume of just those songs. You know, like just do the work for me and find all those and put them on a big thing. Get 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 the Pretty Boy Floyd and get this old man and get all those one offs he did here and there and put them all on a big mm-hmm. album. That way, I can just have them all in one place because I don't even I don't know, like Band of the Hand. You know, I mean, like these weird little yeah. songs that he did that nobody really kind of knows about or or was sort of forgotten. So I would love to if they did something like that and you know. I don't know if there are any alternate takes of George Jackson. I don't get the sense that there were. I think he pretty much just came in and nailed it, both versions, and then got right out of the studio. So, But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, you can get this song on um, iTunes. So uh, it's, it's, worth, it's worth checking out. I think it's, it's interesting, and it's, uh, it, it is an interesting idea about that Dylan was maybe trying to return to something he had in the old – because he had moved back to New York at that point to New York City proper – so he might have been trying to mm-hmm. recapture something that he had, you know, given up once he became, once he went electric and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting song. And so, uh, you know, Hank, thank you for uh, wanting to talk about this one because I don't know anybody else that would ever mention this song as wanting to talk about. It. So, thank you for for pointing it out because I well, love finding obscure stuff like this. <laughs> well, again, as a collector, this is one of the songs that kind of stands out as, you know, one of those little tracks that Sony tries to some kind of collectible value to. I mean, mm-hmm. Rita Mae's another one. Rita Mae, that masterpiece yeah, collection. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and those. Uh, I don't know. I just uh, that's that's the stuff that makes it fun for me. Anyway, I like mm-hmm. having all those different soundtracks all stacked up somewhere <laughs> with uh, Bob singing. People get ready uh, from People I get ready. the flashback. Yeah, the album. Flashback. Yeah, yeah. That's another. That's another one. We can make a whole <laughs> list of these crazy little one-offs that he did. It's absolutely. So. Well, anyway, thank yep. uh, Hank. Thank you so much for being a fan of the show and leaving comments. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. 
Oh, I just, I enjoy the show. I don't know if I'll enjoy this episode as much <laughs> listening to it, but it was fun to be on it. So <laughs> I go through, I go through that every episode, Hank. So, uh, so again, th- thank you so much for reaching out. Thank you for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. So, uh, um, thank you. All right. So everybody, of course, you want to listen to back episodes of the show. You can find it over on our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We're at at pod underscore Dylan. So until the next episode, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will see you later. Bye. I woke up this morning. There were tears in my bed. They killed a man I really loved. Shot him through the head Lord, Lord, they cut your tracks down Lord, Lord, they laid him in the ground Jackson down Lord, Lord They laid him in the ground